Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo, and hello everybody, Mike here. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we talk vintage, we talk with collectors, we just do all kinds of stuff. And by the time you're listening to this episode, if you're listening to it on release day, I will have I'll, I'll be about a week removed from shoulder surgery. And so thank you to everybody that sent me well wishes and all that. I am getting my rotator cuff partial tear fixed so that I can be ready to pitch for the Rangers should they need me you know, in 2025 season or something, I'll be out for a while, but on the road to recovery and looking forward to the other side of that, because I'm tired of it hurting. It's basically what it is. Uh, tonight's episode is going to be fun. It's a, it's a guy that you guys have already met before. I did an episode with Adam June of 2022, June 1st, actually of 2022. So it's been uh, a little over a year since I've talked to Adam since I first met Adam, I guess I should say, and, and introduced him to you guys. During that time, Adam has, has had quite a uh, rise to the it, with, through the YouTube community and and collecting, and, and we're going to talk to him. I want to talk to him today about what it's been like over the last 14 months or so, because he's got a unique journey, he's got a unique story, and we're going to check in with him. Let's just bring him on right now. Adam, what's, what's up, man? Mike, thank you for having me on. Again. Yes, again. Uh, double blessing. Thank you. You made the cut. You made it to a second episode. That That's when you really know you've made it, just so you know. Yes, indeed. Well, from the first episode, I was launched into stardom, so I don't <laughs> even know how I'm going to handle the impact of the second episode. Well, just beat them off with a stick, man. All, all the ladies <laughs> and, you know. You'll have them all after <laughs> after you. But, you know, it was 14 months ago that you were on the show and you had reached out either via Instagram. I can't remember exactly how we got connected, but was it Instagram? Do you remember? I sent a email to your bench clear. Okay. Okay. So we connected through email and you told your story to me a little bit, a little bit of hey, here's how I got into vintage. Here's how I got into cards um, in terms of the recent iteration of your card life. And can you quickly like give a brief synopsis? People should go back and listen to that first episode if you never did. Again, June 1st, 2022. Go check that out to hear the full story. But Adam, give them a little Cliff's Notes version of, of how you got started last year, two years ago. Absolutely. So... I've been, you know, a, a collector since my youth of uh, stamps, coins, some sports cards, 
However, I had never collected any baseball car cards or vintage baseball cards, but in the middle of 2020, I was just surfing the YouTubes and uh, saw some cool vintage baseball cards being shown. And that's what uh, started to head me down that road. It had nothing to do with the pandemic and the fact that, you know, card prices were taking off. It was just me surfing the YouTubes and seeing these cool vintage baseball cards and thinking, you know, wow, that's pretty cool. I ought to get one. And I got one and I actually thought that would be the end of it. But then, you know, it snowballed from there. Um, and then I was collecting, uh, starting to collect some vintage baseball cards, just kind of in a vacuum, like so many other collectors. And uh, throughout my collecting life, had never really connected very much with other collectors. And so uh, that was clearly missing. And I saw through the YouTube community and through your channel and some other channels that there was this rich community that I was missing out on. And so I uh, reached out to you and said, uh, hey, Mike, have you ever thought about having, I really liked the golden age of cardboard, uh, still do. And I thought, you know, have you ever thought about having a new vintage card collector on uh, your uh, podcast or your vintage, vintage age uh let's see uh golden age there we go of cardboard and i and then i volunteered myself <laughs> in case you were willing to take a chance on me and you did and so you really helped me in that regard to start to get plugged into this community and i've been uh doing so ever since yeah and if i remember that was june of 2022 so we were uh you know eight weeks away from the national or whatever and i know you went to the national for the first time in 2022 how because being in coins and i i know you never had a community like or friendships and stuff develop out of your collecting like you have and we'll get to that in a minute but going to that first national in 2022 what was that experience like yeah so you know i wasn't planning on going but after being on the golden age of cardboard with you i was really on cloud nine and starting to connect in this community and then it was just like i just have to go so i sold my biggest coin uh together with another coin and i gathered some pro proceeds and chatted with my wife and said hey you know uh what do you think about uh, me going to the national and using some of our vacation funds and i can sell these coins so kind of a last minute decision so it was pretty spendy and uh, I was just totally overwhelmed um, in a, you know, not in a bad way, but I don't do a lot of traveling. So traveling all the way across the country by, you know, a couple planes and by a train and a bus and then getting there. And I hadn't met with anyone in person yet. And uh, on Wednesday night at the National, totally overwhelmed. It was so, you know, just so huge. I had never been to any sort of a collecting type convention anywhere near that scale. Um, but then I met up with you and uh, met up with others and just, you know, it was just a wonderful, uh, wonderful experience. Yeah, that's quite an indoctrination, right? To come to that show and you just dove head first in. Are you drinking a bottle of Jack right now? Like that looks so, like a bottle of Jack. <laughs> this is the no sugar pure leaf tea. Okay. All right. I thought you were drinking a bottle of Jack and I'm like, I'm all for it. I'm, I was going to reach you on. Uh, <laughs> whatever I have to do to get through this episode <laughs> <laughs> right that's what uh, a lot of my guests say they start drinking afterwards <laughs> they're like man Mike drove me to drink you know, uh, 
to jump head first like you did into going to the national as like wow and going to meet all these people that you you know they don't know you from adam no pun intended uh <laughs> or pun very intended but you just i love how you just embraced it and kind of went with it and I mean, it had to be a little, I don't want to use the word scary, but maybe intimidating or just, man, I don't even know what this world is like. Is How did you feel? Yeah, well, I'm somebody who can be challenged by change. So it was very challenging. But you know what compelled me is um, I love collecting and I was becoming very passionate about collecting these vintage uh, baseball cards. And I really wanted to get connected into this community. I didn't even really want to make uh, YouTube videos, but I so desired to get connected into this community that it it kind of it kind of just overruled any objections I had in my mind. And so, like you say, I just dove in headfirst. I will say, since then, I've certainly enjoyed making some YouTube videos, and I've absolutely enjoyed getting connected. But really, it ultimately boiled down to my desire to get connected became so strong. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to just toot your horn, but being on the golden age of cardboard really was a big catalyst for that. And so uh, that just totally overcame all of the objections I had to diving in headfirst. And I certainly had uh, many of them. Yeah, down the road, decades from now, many will say that it all started with me appearing on Golden Age of Cardboard. That's <laughs> so many collectors. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so watching you over the last 14 months as i have I, I subscribe to your channel i watch your show i watch your videos you collect it's like i've i've watched you evolve as a collector from the very beginning to now and do you kind of self-reflect on that and kind of say can you go hey i used to be this way at the very beginning and here's how i've changed as i've learned more as i've progressed through the vintage world how would you describe that process absolutely so one way i've changed originally um i was very picky about condition but not centering so i would go for cards that were more off center as long as they were sharp and it was common for me to you know not like a card because it just didn't uh, match up with my picky condition standards. And that's tough when you're collecting vintage because these are old cards and they get pretty spendy when you get into the higher grades. And when they're in the lower grades, of course they have issues. So where I've really, I think, grown, which I'm happy about, is I can now uh, embrace cards that have more wear or have been well-loved. So, you know, maybe not as much as some, but I've made huge strides there. And I think I value centering more than I did. Um, so that I don't need perfect centering, but in the past, I would have easily chosen a card way off center that's sharp over one that's better centered, but maybe has a little bit of wear. And, and I've, you know, um, somewhat valued centering higher than I used to and um, am willing to give a little bit on sharpness. Now, having said that, I kind of, I think, live in both camps. I can enjoy a card that's somewhat off center, but sharp for the grade. And I can also enjoy a card, you know, at the same grade that maybe has better centering, but it, its condition gives in some other ways. So I think ultimately when it comes down to it, um, you know, uh, if a card is a three, 
there's got to be some reasons for that and you just have to choose which uh you know what uh speaks to you in terms of eye appeal and which issues uh don't really matter to you as much but i've definitely grown uh, in terms of my acceptance of cards with issues especially at the national that we uh you know just attended this Gorgeous Joe DiMaggio, uh, I think rookie card from the uh, 38 Gaudi Heads Up. Like this has just about every issue. I mean, it doesn't have a pinhole, hole, but it's got a little paper loss. It's got toning. It's got a little bit of discoloration, rounded corners, uneven corner wear, um, a couple of paper crinkles. You know, it's got doesn't have any writing on it, but it's got a lot of issues. But I still really love that card because I knew that was a card. Uh, that gets expensive really quick and was already pushing my budget. So I knew that was kind of a one or none. I guess I could go authentic, but I really wanted a numerical grade. So I knew if I didn't get that card in a one, I would probably most likely never get the card. So I'm happy with it. And that's big time growth for me, Mike, because I can say when we met about a year ago or 14 months ago, there's no way I could have been uh, satisfied with that copy because, you know, it just had too many issues. But now I'm like, yeah, I'm totally cool with it. It looks nice. Now, if that were a 65 tops card, I'd be looking for it to, you know, be in better condition. But for that particular card, I've gotten to the point where I'll give a lot more, especially when the cards become uh, tougher to find or more expensive. And, uh, you know, I'm either going to have the card in a lower grade or I'm simply not going to have the card. I'm becoming more and more comfortable with embracing uh the wear that's necessary in order to be able to obtain the card. It's funny how you've come to that realization relatively quickly in your journey. And sometimes it takes guys a lot longer to go, you know, do I want it or not? Like let's, let's take the Gaudi DiMaggio that you're talking about. First of all, my question would be why that card, why was that card a card you wanted to add to your collection? Yeah. So I always say great question, but that's because you ask great questions. <laughs> um, so I just, you know, found that I love the 38 Gaudi with cartoons. Now, the ones without cartoons, I still think they're cool. But the ones with cartoons, that's where it's at for me. We say and with it, squiggles or without squiggles. Yes, with the squiggles or without. So yeah. It's really interesting how they started the set at card number 241 as if as if it was an extension of the 240 card 1933 Gaudi set. And they did 24 cards without the scribbles or the cartoons and then repeated the 24 with probably to keep their production costs down, but put out another series. And then uh, this latter series, there were only 288 cards in the set, but it says out of 312 which means they were clearly planning on printing another 24 cards. Conventional wisdom would say maybe with some different cartoons around the periphery or something else. But it's uh, anyway, I just I've always once I discovered them, of course, and I've seen them on some other people's channels. Um, I just said, wow, those are so awesome. My plan was to probably just get a common with the cartoons, at least to start with and have that be you know, at least a representative of the set. However, when I was at the National this year, and I had, you know, some things in mind, of course, that I would like to target, but I didn't have any one card where it's like, 
I'm really going after this one and I'm going to try really hard to get this one. It was more like I have a lot of things in mind. And so when I saw this uh, Gaudi Joe DiMaggio, and actually I had thought it was probably a card that would be just out of my range, but it turns out it was not. I thought it was pretty pretty well priced for a one and then was able to negotiate a little bit. Um, I just said, yeah, I really want that card because I just... I know some people don't care for it because you have this oversized head and this cartoon body and it's just not their thing fair enough but i just think it's absolutely glorious so i thought wow yeah i'm gonna go it spoke to me i'm gonna go after the key to the sad and uh, i think you know as a secondary reason so i am a yankee fan an interesting type of yankee fan i'm not like i'm kind of a fan of all the teams but i like the fact that the yankees you know did a lot of winning back in the day. And so I've tried to pick up some of the uh, Yankee contributors, as I call them. So when we look at those, you know, top tier Yankees, um, Babe Ruth sort of passed the mantle, if you will, to Lou Gehrig, who passed it to Joe DiMaggio, who passed it to Mickey Mantle. Well, I'm not going to have a Babe Ruth. I'm not trying to limit myself, but I'll pre I'm pretty sure I'll never have a Babe Ruth rookie card. You know, I'm not even sure which card is technically Lou Gehrig's rookie card. The Mickey Mantle rookie card is, which you have a gorgeous copy, is, you know, that's quite a ways up there. So out of those big four Yankees from, you know, the vintage and even into the pre-war, I was able to get what I believe is the Joe DiMaggio rookie card. Now, he has a 33, 1933 Z-Nut Pacific Coast League when he was with the San Francisco Seals, but that's a minor league card. He's got a 36 Worldwide Gum Canadian issue, black and white. He's got a 37 OPG Canadian issue. This 38 Gaudi is his first mainstream issue. So the card number 250 without the scribbles and the card number 274 with the scribbles, if we go for that conventional mainstream issue definition of a rookie card, uh, this is the Joe DiMaggio rookie card. So secondarily, that was also a motivator for me. Having said that, even if this is not his rookie card, and I know some people, you know, uh, would view another card as his rookie card, but even if it were not, out of all of the Joe DiMaggio playing day cards, at least all of them that I've seen, uh, this is the one that I would want the most. This is the one that to me is the coolest. And so uh, those are, I guess, a couple of the reasons why this card really spoke to me. I love it. That's a huge card on my kind of want list of, of things that if I could add cards that would be certainly it's it's up there and i'm thrilled that you were able to pick one up at the national uh this year it's it's a great copy of it i love that you think oh it's okay you know that it's a one again maybe a year ago you don't buy that card you know is, it, is that possible that you might have gone nope i'm not I, i'm not okay with it i will say that at last year's national as well as this year's national even though i i didn't have a particular card that i was you know targeting in a hard way i did have a plan that i wanted to pick up what i would call one big card last year and then some smaller cards and this year i wanted to pick up one year one big card and then some other cards so my big card of course was the dimaggio rookie answering your questions last year there's no way i would have bought this card no way because even though I would have looked at it and thought that it, you know, hey, that's cool. I, I like, you know, the 38 Gaudi heads up Joe DiMaggio. It would have never passed what I could live with condition wise. So I absolutely 100% would have passed on it a year ago. In fact, probably almost certainly would have passed on it, uh, you know, six months ago. So there's been some growth there for sure. 
Yeah, and it, I, I don't even know it's fair to call it growth. Maybe maturation or just kind of coming to understand that if there's all these great cards we want, all of us have a long list of cards probably that we would desire to own someday in our collection. As you've gone through that process, you, and I'll let you speak to this, but I know you've sold off some other cards in order to continue to, okay, I'm, I'm okay getting rid of this off-center higher grade so I can get a lower, better-centered grade. You've been, I don't know if trading down's the right word or trading ladder, you know, kind of getting it to fit more of what you like today versus what you liked 12 to 14 months ago. Is that true? Yeah, I would, I would say I haven't really done much in the way of trading down, but I would say that and this has been true my entire collecting life, even before I got into the vintage baseball, that I would collect items and then most of what I bought, I would keep, of course, because that was the goal. But um, as time went on, I would realize some things don't mean as much to me. I might still think they're cool, but I would rather have something else. So on a regular basis, I will go through my collection and find a few things uh, to go ahead and sell because I'd rather, uh, you know, Put that resource into something else that i'm going to be uh, more excited about now having said that out of the cards that i have you know that's a pretty small percentage that i end up uh selling to get something else so for the most part when i get cards i uh you know i hang on to them and my plan is to keep them long term and i'm happy with them but um i mean an example here's a really nice example so at last year's national i bought a um 52 tops johnny mize it was in a four uh, SGC4, and it was a pretty nice looking card, but it had one corner that was fairly significantly rounded, and the other three were moderately sharp, and and it was a little off center, but not bad. But anyway, uh, as time went on, I looked at that card, Mike, and I said, you know, this just, I don't know, I just, I think I could have done better. So I went ahead and sold it, and I'm sure after fees, you know, I took a little loss, but that doesn't bother me a bit. And I thought, well, maybe I'll pick up that 52 tops Johnny Mize again sometime, or maybe I won't. Time will tell. Well, at this year's national, lo and behold, uh, I picked up one a replacement at this year's national in a three for a lot less money that is just outrageously nice. I mean, like the eye appeal is off the freaking charts. And um, well-centered so, card, love it. So, you know, that was one example of me selling something that I just, for whatever reasons, was not that enthused about it was an item that i liked and i thought well yeah i would certainly like to you know get this item back get another copy of this back at some point but i didn't know when that would happen or if that would happen but uh, lo and behold it happened so that's pretty cool that is <laughs> incredibly brilliant you were able to save a ton of money get a card you're even happier with of the same player like same card everything that that just fits your collection even better so I, I've got to ask you, when you were talking about Joe DiMaggio's rookie card and what might also be his rookie card, and you're spouting off all these, hey, he's got a Z-Nut and he's got a Worldwide Gum and all these cool things. You've learned a lot, I think, in a, a relatively short period of time. For people out there, there's lots of listeners that always ask me, um, how do I learn about this stuff? How did you learn? Where did you go? What were some resources you used to bring yourself up to speed? 
Yeah, so I have been reading some books. Right now I'm reading the Jackie Robinson autobiography. Um, I forget if it has a subtitle or whatever. I will confess my book reading has been going pretty slow um, just because uh, I'm watching YouTube and, you know, life gets busy. So I haven't been going very fast, but I have a stack of books. I have a list of books I would like to buy in the future and read at some point. The Glory of Their Times that you mentioned is on that list. So, you know, I've, I've uh, learned some from that. I would say primarily from watching the YouTube community. And then as I listen to people in the YouTube community, sometimes I'll do a little online research. Like with the Joe DiMaggio, I learned that there was, I guess you could say, some differences of opinion about just what constitutes a Joe DiMaggio rookie card. So I kind of did a little online research and and said, okay, I guess if we're talking first card, it's the 33, you know, uh, Zenut Pacific Coast League. Uh, but that's a minor league. But if you're talking his very first card, I think that's it. If you're talking his first card in a Yankees uniform, I think it's the 36 Worldwide Gum. If you're talking, you know, his first mainstream issue from the U.S., I believe it's the 38 Gaudi Heads Up. So I just did a little bit of, um, you know, investigating. I got curious. Having said that, I will be the first to admit, like, I've learned some things along the way, but there's still so much that that I, you know, don't know. I mean, like big gaps, like if you start talking to me about stuff, there'll be stuff that you would expect a person who collects baseball cards to know, and I'm clueless. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, you're 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 kind of being the sponge, right? You, you want to learn as you go. You can't know everything after 40 whatever years. I don't know everything. There's a lot of gaps. I've talked about it literally in the last few weeks. My pre-war knowledge is leaves a lot to be desired and I want to learn more. What I love is that you're okay. So you're reading the Jackie Robinson autobiography. You're learning about the player. And then you say, well, now I know you do have some Jackie Robinson cards, but, or do you one, only one. Okay. One, but that's a, that's okay. <laughs> that's a start. It takes, like you top? said, the whole marathon thing. Is it 54 tops that you have, or is it? It, it is the 56 tops. Okay. 56 yes. tops. Um, you know, but you're learning about the players, which then you want to, oh, I want a card of that guy because I, I loved reading about them and learning about them and then doing your own research and online places you can go investigate, watching YouTube videos. There's so many great resources out there to learn. Just be open-minded and I'll ask you this next question. As you've gone along, have you made any mistakes? Have you done anything you went, God, that was silly. You know, I'm that was such a rookie mistake, so to speak, in my collecting journey. Yes. Um, it's only, as my dad would say, it's only a mistake if you don't learn, or it's, it's, right. it's not a mistake if you learn from it, is what my dad says. So I would say, have you made some, so to call it a mistake is probably a little unfair, anything that you've done, but have you made some missteps and gone, man, I wish I would have done this differently? Um, I would say some impulse buying, you know, uh, here or there, where I think I would have been better off waiting for sure. And then I either would have not bought that card or waited for a copy that I was happier with or or maybe got a little bit better price. Um, a little bit of impulse buying, a little bit of impulse selling, uh, not much, but trying to be as accurate as possible. 
a little bit of that. Um, yeah, and I think that's easy to do because uh, who doesn't love to buy cards, you know, if they're a card collector? And so, you know, and then we uh, we learn from our hobby brothers and we're uh, watching their videos, we're seeing what they got. And, um, you know, we're often shopping online and uh, there's auctions closing all of the time and there's, you know, buy it now and cards we can make offers on. So I would probably say, you know, I guess I, I mean, you know, I'm not trying, if I had some big mistake, I'd be happy to share it, but I'd probably say nothing earth shattering, just probably um, some impulse buying where I uh, would have been better off waiting. Uh, maybe a little bit of impulse selling, not too much of that, but maybe a little bit of that. Um, I think where the impulse buying can hurt is sometimes a collector can end up with something they're pretty pleased with, but the problem is they're exhausting their current hobby funds. And so then when something else comes along and they realize that that, that would have been a priority for sure, they're not in a position to take advantage of it. Yeah. It's hard to know what the next card is, right. And, and kind of see into the future. It, because I know if I was to say what my, again, they're not mistakes, but if I could go back, I would have been buying, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 years ago when I was really starting to get into vintage, I would have bought higher grades. I would have been more patient and I was trying to buy a lot on a, on a fixed budget, so to speak, or just trying to be cognizant of budget. And I would just, I'd buy twos and threes when really, if I would have just waited and saved up or not bought as many things, I could have bought higher grades, but we all have the what ifs and shoulda, coulda, wouldas in our collecting journeys. And it, believe me, I still love all those cards, but I, I have a Nolan Ryan rookie, for example, in a three, I really should own a six. And I, and I could have, you know, years ago, I could have bought a six you know, instead of a three and, and several other cards, you know, but I, I bought a three because I wanted other cards. And so I, I guess it's not so much of a regret or even feeling like I made a mistake. It's maybe opportunity passed. And we all look now with where vintage is and looking back, we'd all, we'd all go, yeah, I'd empty my bank account. If I could go back five years, I'd buy everything I could, you know, because of what we've seen. Uh, with prices, even now today, as they've softened, things are still way more expensive than they were five years ago. And the, I, I don't know, it's hard to regret and hard to, I still love my Nolan Ryan rookie, even though it's only a three, you know, I, and I say only a three, it's a perfectly adequate card for my collection and I'm proud to own it. So let me shift gears slightly. Yeah, let you, me just throw this in real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Let me just say, Mike, that I think, you know, part of the reason I haven't seen more mistakes in the last three years is because even though I've only been in this vintage baseball card space for three years, I've been a collector for most of my life. So believe me, I've made lots of mistakes, but I think I made a lot of those before I got into vintage baseball. So that <laughs> that kind of helped out, too. <laughs> That's a great point, which is where I'm going is in your former collecting life collecting coins, collecting stamps, other things. What has translated well to the card world? What have, what are some things that you think are like, wow, cards are 
this is a way better hobby because of X, Y, Z, whatever those things are. So what translates well? And then what do you enjoy about the card mark card world that you didn't enjoy in the other hobbies that you participated in? Sure. So I think what, what translates well is um, I just had a sense of collectible markets and an understanding that, and of course, I'm not doing this for investment, but an, an understanding that uh, certain items that dealers get in, uh, you know, they can sell those quickly. There's a ready market for them and other items, you know, not so much. A sense that something can be uh, scarce or rare, but that doesn't mean there'll necessarily be a lot of demand for it. There might be, there might not be. Something can be pretty plentiful, uh, but have so much demand that, you know, it will command higher prices over time. So just having a strong sense of collectible markets, um, understanding from coins that all of these coin series tend to have key coins and semi key coins. And in the same way, um, all of these uh, sports card series tend to have key cards and maybe semi key cards. Um, so I think I was, you know, relatively quickly able to kind of survey the landscape of vintage baseball card collecting and have an understanding of hey mantle may not be the best baseball player ever i mean i don't think anybody's saying he's the best ever although he was pretty darn good but he can still be king of the at least post-war uh vintage card hobby uh because of his story and because of you know um his personality and because he was hitting these tape measure home runs and he was a switch hitter and you know, just these reasons that kind of, and he was a Yankee and just these reasons that kind of propel him. So I already had a, a strong sense of how collectible card markets work. You know, without that sense, for example, somebody might just go out and buy all the Tim Duncan cards because after all, his stats are amazing. But, uh, you know, he's not, uh, he's not uh, somebody that's just super collected by that many people. So, I think there was that that translated really well. Also, uh, over time in my other, uh, you know, items that I collected, um, I had an eye for quality. I had developed that over time, quality within a grade. So that translated really well, even though obviously uh, vintage cards are a different, you know, a, a different thing altogether. I was able to relatively quickly, I think, uh, pick up on on that idea of quality within a grade. Um, what did not transfer well you know i'm not sure there's anything what, that really didn't. i guess maybe what's what do you find different about yeah yeah the card world so, versus the other hobbies yeah so what's different like with the classic u.s coins i still love them i've been slowly but surely um you know, selling them off. I haven't bought a coin, I think, in probably a couple of years. Been slowly but surely, you know, selling them off and then converting them to cards, so to speak. Uh, that's helped me to have a decent chunk of change to take the nat to the national this year and last year as well. And so I'll probably, I mean, I don't know where we'll go. Uh, I've got about 20 coins left. A few of them don't have much value, but they have meaning to me. The rest have a decent amount of value. So it might be, Mike, that I end up slowly selling them all off. I'm in no rush and converting those to cards. It might be I get to a point where there's, you know, a half dozen or a dozen coins where I'm like, I'm just keeping these because I like them so much. So I still love coins and, you know, other collectibles. However, 
I would rather have the vintage baseball cards for these reasons. They're much bigger. My eyesight, my close-up eyesight is, is still actually pretty good, but they're much bigger. They're colorful. Coins tend to be uh, monocolor, a single color, uh, so it's hard to really you know, see what's going on. They have some incredible artistry, but you often need magnification to really appreciate it. In my humble opinion, they don't display as well. Um, there doesn't seem to be the same type of a collector community. Now, in fairness, there probably are some coin collectors out there that are experiencing this incredible coin collecting community, and I'm so happy for them, but there doesn't seem to be that same community. Um, and uh, also, the cards themselves, like if you're collecting, say, Morgan Silver Dollars, well, there are keys to the set, but there's over 100 different uh if you count all of the years and the mint marks, there's over 100 different Morgan silver dollars uh, minted from 1878 to 1904 and then a last hurrah in 1921, but they all kind of look the same. Now, they can have different toning and that can be dramatic, fair enough, and different amounts of wear, um, but you know, to a degree, they all kind of look the same. Whereas not every 1953 Topps card looks the same by any means. I mean, the Mickey Mantle in that set looks very different than, than the uh, Willie Mays in that set. So uh, you've got more variety with the cards. They're larger, they're colorful, and they're of actual people. Now, I realize, uh, you know, coins eventually, we had actual people on coins like Abraham Lincoln and so forth. But um, you know, you have the rich history of these baseball players, both on the field and off. And uh, you've got a lot of those players in one set. Whereas if you're collecting, say, Morgan Silver Dollars, uh, they're called that after George Morgan, who was the engraver. Uh, they used to also be called Bland Silver Dollars because there was this act. It was like the Bland slash somebody act. It was basically sub subsidizing the silver interests is why we got all these silver dollars that just sat in bank vaults and treasury treasury department vaults for the most part. But anyway, if you're um, you know collecting those, what you see is a depiction of Miss Liberty. It's not an actual person. And there's a reason for that. That's because um, early on in our nation's history, the powers that be did not want to have like a president on a coin because they didn't want a president to gain too much power and become some sort of a monarch or something. Um, so that's why it wasn't until the Lincoln sent in 1909 that we actually got one of our presidents on a coin. Other than maybe there might have been an earlier commemorative coin, I'm not sure, but you know, at least a mainstream coin. So you mentioned the community, you mentioned, you know, some differences there. Um yeah, I think what we have in cards is unique. It it might not be. Maybe I'm living in La La Land, but I like to think that something that what we have in cards, the community of people that listen to this podcast, and then I see it shows and they say, I love the podcast. I mean, that's special. And, and I, I actually, it's one of my favorite parts about the hobby. Uh, the cards are really cool, but it, it's really cool when you get to show them to your friends, you know, and show them, show them to people. Uh, that's what Let makes me throw, really cool. throw out one more thing really quick that yeah. I did not mention. Like I have some early half dollars from the early 1800s. I mean, that's really cool, but Let's take, um, say, cards from the mid-1950s. I'm more interested in the era of history from the mid-1950s than I am from the early 1800s. You know, not to say that there isn't, you know, a, a rich history there, but that's another factor as, as well. 
is most coin collectors go much earlier than the 1950s because actually um, you know, it's generally easy to get at least in circulated grades. Certainly there's not really uh, necessarily as much value or interest. In fact, you know, some of the, a lot of the coins from the 1950s were pretty much still uh, producing those coin series today. They might lo look a little bit different. They might've been in silver from 1964 or before or 90% silver, but you know, they, they look like today's coinage. So usually most collectors will go back much earlier than that. So the era, I think, is a factor as well. Great point. All right, let me ask you this. When you first started into cards and started this journey, is there a vintage set that at the very beginning you weren't exactly like, yeah, I don't really care for that too much, either the way it looked, the design, whatever, that now you have come to either appreciate, love, or want to start collecting? Yes. And I would say um, this has kind of happened all of the time. <laughs> it's like happened a lot, you know, and um, I know other collectors have said this and, and I have as well. Like if you say to me, you know, tell me the top five cards in your collection or the top 10 or the your top, you know, three sets from the 50s or whatever. I'm not sure if I'd be able to give you the same you know, if I gave you an answer today, it might be different tomorrow. And I think, you know, I guess on the one hand, it's like, gee, am I that fickle? But a lot of my collecting uh, brothers say this and sisters, although it's mostly men, obviously, but, you know, they say this as well because uh, they love them all so much. It's hard to say. But the, the 1964 tops, I remember thinking that this is a card, by the way, I got it last year's National and it's just crazy nice for a 4.5. But I remember thinking, oh, this is a bummer because I was born in 1964. So it would surely be nice if they had put out some nice cards in my birth year rather than these totally bland, blah, just big block letters like, you know, all square. There's nothing desirable. I mean, I wouldn't say nothing, but, you know, this is like got to be about the most bland year ever. And then I don't know what happened to me, but as time went on and I finally got, I have two of them. I have the Willie Mays and the Hank Aaron. I'm like, this set is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if somebody on YouTube hypnotized me or something. I don't know, but I thought this was the most bland set. And now I'm like, I think this set is really cool with those big, you know, the big letters for the, uh, for the team name. It's a nice, clean design. The way that his hat kind of, uh, you know, comes up over the photo and sort of creates that three-dimensional uh, effect. So there's just one of many, many examples of things that I thought were not not horrible by any means, but at least I thought, gee, those are kind of blah. And then as time went on, I'm like, wow, that's really, really cool. Yeah, that's it's fun again to go back and. Wow. And there was a time actually, I really liked 61 tops, but the more I, and I don't dislike it, but it's just like, it's not as appealing to me as some other cards that it, it kind of just shifts in order of preference. You know, it's not that I hate them. I just, eh, I kind of like these other ones better. I used to not give 65 tops much of a look at all. Now it's one of my favorite vintage sets. I love the flag design. I have the whole set now. And that's part of it is I got the whole set and I was able to look at all the cards together in a binder. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are really cool. And so that's fun to see how our preferences change over time. It's fun to see 
wow, I never thought 55 Bowman could be so pretty. <laughs> you know, most people dislike that set. I, I personally love it and would have agreed with them, those other naysayers at some point in my collecting career. So it's it's fun to change. It's fun to go, wow, I love that. Um, and, and I think I can, you know, I think I can say with accuracy that I don't think, you know, at least when we're looking at tops, vintage tops, say from 1952 to 1980, let's say, if we wanted to find, you know, vintage that way, at least post-war, and then the Bowman from 48 to 55, um, I think I can say, now there are a few of those sets I still still do not have a card from, but I think I can say that, you know, I really love them all. It's just some, you know, really, really, really grab me, and I am finding that there's some moving around a little bit with that like i used to think you know 51 52 bowman those are pretty pretty cool now i think 51 52 bowman those are not just pretty cool those are super cool that is like vintage art at its finest you know so what's next for adam vintage sanctuary what's where do you see yourself going a year from now yeah that's a great question i know this is off topic but i just wanted to throw in at the national this year when you got in you know early on tuesday um because of your celebrity status <laughs> and then you got the the second year 52 bowman maze i think in a three uh, i even remember that looked like a really good price to me and i was really happy for you so uh, maybe even slightly jealous it's like oh man i i could have seen myself buying that uh but uh anyway congrats on on i know you got some other pickups too but congrats on that one that's really that was cool a big one and yes you would have bought it i, I promise you you <laughs> would have bought it uh because it was a good deal and it was it was the right card for me so yeah i was glad to pick that up so to your question so you know what i've been doing one of the things i've been doing is i have been trying to pick up some of the bigger cards for me, more expensive for me. As I have liquidated some coins, um, I have targeted some of the bigger cards as well as some less expensive cards. But because I've targeted some of those bigger cards, my collection is not growing nearly as fast as it could have, which is fine. And I have done that on purpose because I'm okay with it growing slower because I don't know what, none of us know, of course, what the future will hold, but Maybe there will come a time when, uh, I mean, maybe I'll be spending more, but there could come a time when I'm spending less or I don't, I've liquidated these coins and so I no longer have that piggy bank available and I have, you know, I don't really have cards that I want to sell. So I'm trying to pick up what I would say maybe are some keys, either keys to sets or key cards that I want so that uh, maybe if I retire and maybe, you know, uh, I'm not spending as much, I've already got uh, some of these key cards and then I can, you know, fill in around them. At the very least, my gut tell, this is how I enjoy doing it. I love getting big cards. Of course, I like getting smaller cards also, but my gut tells me if I get some big cards along the way, in addition to some of the smaller ones, that that's going to, I'm going to be pleased with that down the road and that's going to work, work well for me. So that's definitely been one of my strategies. Um, as far as what the heck am I doing? Is there a method to my madness? I would say, um, okay, I'm starting to gravitate towards certain players. And this is all kind of in flux a little bit, but certain players like Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, I would say Mickey Mantle, but you know, he's pretty ex to me, I think he's a great player, but he's his cards are pretty expensive. So I kind of feel like I'm 
you know, getting better value with say a Willie Mays or, or a, a Hank Aaron, but um, not just that, but Pete Rose. I mean, I only have a couple of his cards, but I'm starting to gravitate toward uh, Nolan Ryan, um, Yogi Berra, Mike Schmidt, uh, Tony Gwynn. So Ted Williams, there's a few others, but there's about a dozen or so players I'm starting to gravitate towards. So when I pick up cards, I'm more apt to pick up cards of those players. So there's that. Then there's certain sets I'm starting to kind of gravitate towards. So I would like to have, you know, at least one card that I like from each vintage set. And I've got a lot of those, but not every set is represented. But there are certain sets I find myself gravitating toward, like 53 tops. I'd say 52 tops, and I guess that's true, but I don't have any, you know, any thoughts that I'll compare. To me, a completion is just getting all the cards that I want from a set. And we'll see what that looks like over time. It could be all the Hall of Famers plus other cards that I like, some of the Yankee contributors. It, or it could just be, hey, I've got all the cards I want from this set. I don't see myself necessarily com, uh, completing entire sets. But I could see with like a 53 tops, me eventually getting every card I want from the set, which could likely be all of the Hall of Famers. Um, and some other cards. So I'm trying to set myself up or move toward uh, having the potential to get all the cards I want out of certain sets. And certain sets are kind of rising to the top for me. What I call the big tops, which was from 52 to 56 before they uh, moved them to the modern two and a half by three and a half inch size. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll go after the 52 Bowman. I like the 51 Bowman as well. But, um, you know, I know you've got the glorious. Uh, Willie Mays, Hank, Willie Mays rookie card and uh, Mickey Mantle rookie card. But, you know, those are pretty pretty up there in price. So maybe possibly I might stretch for and see if I can get all the cards I want out of 52 Bowman. I actually like it a little bit better than 51 because I like the script signatures on the front as opposed to the kind of black box with their name, although I, I think both sets are great. Um, the Red Man Tobacco, uh, not Red, well, that too, but the Red Heart, the 54 Red Heart, I want to get all the cards with a red background. I've got the Stan Musial. So, you know, that's the key to the uh, red heart cards with the red background. There's 11 that have a red background. I think I've got maybe five of them. Uh, the other six are um, not all Hall of Famers, maybe only half of them. I'm not sure. But I'd like to, you know, complete at least the red background out of that 54 um, uh, red heart. The red man tobacco from 52 through 55. I've got the Yogi Berra with tab out of 50 from the 52, 53, and 54. So I'd like to get the Yogi Berra with tab from 55. That's kind of a nice completion. And he's one of about, I want to say, maybe seven or eight players that actually have uh, a card in all four of those years. Most players don't. Um, does Mays have all four? Mays does not have all four. Yeah. Actually, you know what I can do here? We're going to see if I can do it. We'll see if I have it readily hand, handy. I might, or maybe I deleted it, but we're going to find out. Um, While you're looking, I love the Redmans too. I don't own any. And so I, my regrets, I guess, are cards I didn't buy that I should have, you know, and Craig, one of my friends, a dealer had, a beautiful red heart stand mutual at a show and it was priced very fairly and I didn't buy it. And I hit him hot around and I walked around and it came back and it was sold and I'm, Oh, dang it. I wish I would have bought that, you know? 
Um, yeah, and I would. So ahead. I would. Yeah, I would say that. Where do I see myself in the future? Well, just speaking more generally, I'm trying to get just cards that I love. So more generally, we could define my collection as these are all cards that I love owning. I love having, and if I am not loving them sufficiently, I will go ahead and trade them for something else that I'm, you know, really enthused about. So that's just kind of generally, but then speaking more specifically, I see myself at least on certain sets, probably over time, um, completing that set, which to me will probably mean I've got all the cards I want out of that set, so I'm good. Now that might change because a little time might pass and it's like, oh, now I want this one, or somebody becomes a Hall of Famer or who knows. So I see that happening. I also see certain player runs happening, like say a Topps Willie Mays run, probably at least his base cards, since I've got the big one and you had a lot to do with that out of the Topps cards. 52 Willie Mays, another card that I need, that I love. And this is so gorgeous. And you know, just to tell people the story that might not know, um, when I first met you, Mike, at the National Wednesday night, 2022, and at the first thing, just about the first thing I said after something like, nice to meet you, is would you go look at a card with me? And so this was in a PSA authentic, did not say altered, but it said authentic. And you knew the dealer, uh, the dealer Mike out of MM7 sports cards out of uh, Oklahoma City. Um, Oklahoma City, where you had got the mantle. And so you negotiated for me, which I really appreciate. And then I had it for a lot of months thinking, I'm not sure why this didn't get a numerical grade. And I uh, sent it in the PSA slab to SGC and it came back at 2.5. And I remember you, uh, we talked on the phone, I think, and I remember you saying, well, it said authentic. It didn't say authentic altered. So it's it's probably the case that, you know, the seller, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the, the uh, submitter just wanted it authenticated for whatever reason. And so uh, this they card, had, you know. They, you know, they could have had a minimum grade requirement, like, oh, if it doesn't get a five, just grade it authentic. Or, you know, there's a lot of reasons neither one of us, either you or I, thought there was anything demonstrably wrong with the card, right? Yeah, that's a great that's a great point too. So this card has, you know, a lot of meaning to me um, for multiple reasons. You know, and I don't have cards that go back years and years that have meaning to me. Uh, that would be nice, of course, and I I very much uh, rejoice with those who do. I think that's really cool. But this card has just incredible meaning to me. First of all, because I really wanted a you know 1952 tops Willie Mays, so I'm super stoked to have it. But secondly, it was my big purchase. Well, in addition, these are not in any particular order, but it was sure. my big purchase at my first national when I dove in headfirst, like you said. And also, um, I think of you when I see it because, you know, you were a part of the journey of me getting this card. And now I start to think of other people as well, because I know at this year's national, Sammy Thunder got a um, 1952 Topps Willie Mays card, and he was super stoked, and I was stoked for him, and I got to hold that and see it in person. So I also think of him. Uh, but yeah, this card has a lot of meaning to me. It's super nice on the surface and the color, the rich purple just really presents well. It is off center, but that doesn't bother me a bit. And, um, you know, I would not be looking to ever, um, you know, uh, sell this to get a different one, either for better centering or say sell the 2.5, get a one to capture some funds to buy something else. I, I just don't see myself I have zero interest in doing that because this card 
has personal meaning to me because if I were to sell it, you know, I would lose uh, lose the the meaning that card has uh, beyond the card itself. Well, I love that, and you mentioned you've mentioned Yogi Berra several times, and I would be remiss not to mention that you had several fifty-two tops Yogi Berras, and I was able to finagle one away from you uh, somehow, some way. I don't know if you were under a spell that day or what was going on. <laughs> if you were nice enough to, you know, sell me a fifty-two tops Yogi Berra, which I wanted for my tops runs that I'm doing of hall of famers. And so you, that card has a story for me too, just like your 52 tops maze does. And those cards, I can, I have dozens and dozens, hundreds maybe of cards that I know where I was, who I was with, who helped me buy it, who talked me into it, who, whatever, you know, and those cards are fun to look at and, and reminisce about the, those times. And, and it's all, again, all about connections. We need to get going. Um, but I do, Adam, really appreciate your story. I appreciate you as a person. I love uh, just how your collecting changes, how the goalposts can move. And you you show that and you're and it's okay. It needs to be okay with everybody that, hey, your goalposts can move. What you liked six months ago might be different today. That's okay. And I, I love that you just wear that on your sleeve. You put that out there. Tell everybody real quick before we go where they can find you if they want to watch more of Adam. Oh, sure. Thank you. I am honored. Well, uh, my YouTube channel is Vintage Sanctuary. And kind of the idea behind it is that um, what we do, there's there's really sort of a sacredness to it. It's sort of a, a place where we can take a break from the cares of the world and, and the hullabaloo and maybe the stresses that we might be experiencing at work or in other areas of our life. And we can you know, we can uh, just kind of um, bask in the glory and the nostalgia of uh, whatever we collect, whether it's vintage or modern, whether it's baseball or other sports as well. And I think there's, you know, and also the community is is a big, huge part of this, as, as we've talked about. And so um, I really think there's something, you know, therapeutic. I think this hobby offers so much to us, um, you know, in different ways that we can potentially take advantage of. And I know it's been helpful for me because, you know, one of my life goals has been to focus a lot less, preferably not at all, on things that would stress me out that I really have no control over and to spend my time, you know, focusing on things that bring me joy and focusing on, you know, relationships with people that I can build, um, things that uh, are beneficial to me, beneficial to them, and uh, why should I allow my mind to get stuck in the muck uh, if there's nothing I can do about that muck? Now, if I can get in there and, and clean up some muck, well, then maybe I'm called to do so. But if I'm just waiting around in the muck, that's not helping me or anybody else. <laughs> great point. It's great. Well, Adam, thanks again for being on the show again. And uh, I'll try to not make it 14 months between appearances for you uh, going forward. So Thanks everybody for watching this week. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys soon. Keep collecting.